listening to the Beyond the Page podcast where we talk about all things art. Beyond the Page is a project from PRISM, Oregon State University's art and literary journal, made for students by students. Well, it's that time of year again. Oscar season is upon us as the seasons change. And what better way to honor that season by looking at the Oscars and what they've decided to put out this year, or at least insist that we watch based on, you know, their own proclivities. And in doing so, I'm joined by someone who is much more versed in the Oscar films and watching the Oscars than I am. So, uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you. Yes, I am Samantha. Thank you for having me. This is really fun for me because... I try to watch the nominees as much as possible, and it's fun to be able to talk about it. So That's what we're here to do. I'm Ian, and welcome to Beyond the Page. So, let's begin with our general thoughts on the Oscars. So, Samantha, what would you say your thoughts are on the Oscars, be it as an institution or... An authority on what makes for good filmmaking and awards-worthy films in general. Let's say you. Um, I, I think the Oscars are interesting because of like they've obviously made interesting choices and like have decided to give certain films certain um, prestige or acclaim because even though there is a lot of debate around the Oscars and whether they're relevant or whether they're like. St- like any measure of quality um people still pay attention to them every year so they must matter in some way in some amount um i personally just like to have fun with them um i think you can choose to take them seriously or not but at the end of the day they happen every year and people tune in in some capacity so yeah did some capacity meaning either taking it seriously or just mm-hmm. hate watching as is yeah. the way of some people. Yeah. And like, um, s- like people will say they don't matter and in ways they absolutely don't. Um, but then every year they still end up upset or have at least some kind of strong emotion about like who won or didn't win. So in that regard, they seem to matter to some extent, which yeah. I think is interesting. Very inter- yeah, it's an interesting dichotomy where you you say you don't care, but no matter how hard you try not to, it always seems like you do in the end. Yeah, in some way. can't help but talk about it. Yeah, I'm in the camp of mostly does not care mm-hmm. and does not actually watch the Oscars yeah. at all. Um, whenever I've even heard, whenever I hear about what they're doing. Um, I usually just say, all right, I'll just look up the nominees, the winners in the morning. Mm-hmm. So just let, I don't want to watch this ceremony that goes on for about the length of the Super Bowl. And yeah. then just yeah. when I can just look up the results that I barely even care about tomorrow. Right. Um, and one thing we should also, I should also mention that I've, even though I don't watch the Oscars, I have done my research about, you know, how it kind of operates and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And one thing I did find out that I think is painfully relevant a lot of the times with their nominees is that a lot of the Academy voting base is actually made up of actors, not like film directors or film historians who you'd think would have maybe not more of a say, but a more worldly approach and thought Mm -hmm. of what 
um, counts as a truly great film. Not that actors can't have good taste in movies, but you know their job is their job is more to act in the films, not necessarily yeah. to say if it's good or not. You think anybody working on the last Airbender movie uh, would have had any idea of how good that movie was, how good or bad that movie was going to be? Well, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, I think the way the Academy works, as far as I remember, is also interesting. I think because different people vote in different award shows, like the Golden Globes are journalists, um, and there's only like 80 of them. And then there's like the SAGs, which is obviously all actors. And then there's the Directors Guild, which is all directors um, and stuff like that. But the Oscars um, has like almost a thousand members who get to vote, I think. Jesus. It's it's a lot. And like there are ways um, that you join the Academy and then you get to vote. You have to be invited, um, don't you? Yeah. There's like a couple. I think if you win, you automatically are in it i think i could be making that up but i think there's like a couple ways that you can actually become a member and then how you vote is also different um like if you're an actor for the acting categories only actors vote on those and then like for costume design only costume designer like which i i love that personally because um you're more likely to have actually like seen the movies you're voting for or yeah. stuff like that. And then everybody gets to vote for best picture. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that is necessarily true for animated films though. Cause last I heard they right. introduced a rule change where everybody got to vote on the animated. Picture I could see as that. Well. I'm not sure about that one specifically, yeah. but they might've rescinded it. Yeah. They might've rescinded it since they announced it, but that was the last I heard mm-hmm. and people were, clamoring about oh how yeah this is actually bad because most of the academy voters either are apathetic at best towards animation and actively uh maybe not hostile but uh paternalistic to it Mm -hmm. at best or at their worst yeah it's a much newer category than a lot of the others too and i think that can also show how seriously they actually take that award yeah and it's I an know, elitism thing. I think exactly. And at like the last award ceremony, they made a joke about um, animated films only being kids' movies, um, which was a choice because one of the nominees was a movie called Flea. Yeah, wasn't which that was a documentary the, about a guy who left Afghan- his country yeah. because he would have died, and I think he went to Denmark. And I was like, oh not true and like nobody liked that joke it got slammed online and oh, it should have oh i bet it did yeah. because animated film i love animated films and especially i feel like over the past couple of years we've seen more animated films that aren't targeted towards kids but even if they are targeted towards kids movies targeted towards children are still of great quality oh yeah absolutely so i hate the like rhetoric around that yeah could do a whole podcast episode so about true. the perception of animation exactly. in American media too. Yeah. That has a whole history to it that I could just go on for hours about. Yeah. But we've that's a topic for another that's day. That's another day. <laughs> yeah. But with that in mind, I do hear that how most of the time what the Oscars are voting for is um they basically just let their kids pick the nominees or the winners mm-hmm. and then they just vote for what their kids really liked. That's what I've heard. For before. the animated? Yeah. Yeah, for animated. I wouldn't be surprised, especially for like, because so much of the academy is made up of like old white men. 
not surprised in the slightest. Yeah. That if it's not like a big epic that they're like, man, I don't care. Now let's go to their grandkids and go, hey, Sonny, what cartoon movie did you see in the cinemas this year? I went to see Puss in Boots. It was really, really good. You think it was awards worthy? Yeah, it was. Do you think you can give it an award, Granddad? I'll see what I can do if you say so. <laughs> Literally, though, it's ridiculous. But I'm sure, I'm sure that's how a lot of people vote. Because I remember when the Grammys happened, some people, like, explained how they voted. And they were just like, I didn't think this person was, like, they have enough Grammys. So I voted for this person. I'm like, cool. So not based on the merit of the music. Makes perfect sense to put that with the Academy, too, because yeah. so many of the recur they're there's the recurring winners thing where people who've got Oscars before suddenly just end up getting more. Yeah. When they're not making up for snubbing an actor a decade ago. Right. Yeah. So. So with that in mind, uh, let's move on to this year's Oscars specifically and the films that were nominated for. We'll go over best picture and best animated feature. Um, for the sake of time, even though there are plenty of other categories out there that we could almost certainly go on about. You know, there's director, there's actor, actress. I remember hearing about you complaining uh, yesterday yeah. about the actress who played Marilyn Monroe and that and Actually, how that was the worst thing ever made. Yeah. Um, and it's up for Razzies. Do you know what Razzies are? Oh, yeah. I love the idea of Razzies. And I think it's so funny that Blonde is nominated for so many Razzies, except for Ana de Armas' performance, which I didn't think was good. So I would have... And I also think it just would have been so funny to have a performance nominated for a Razzie and an Oscar. I don't know if that's ever happened. I think it has. I would love um, that to happen. I know people have won a Razzie and an Oscar in the same year, but for different roles. It happened for Halle Berry, in 2002 or three, I think it was 2002, she won her Oscar for Monster Ball um, and, and then, is like the only woman to win or the only woman of color to win Best Actress. And Hopefully then the other one that was, changes this year. Um, yeah. And then the other role, I'm assuming, was Catwoman, right? Yes. That's what she won her Razzie for. And it happened to Sandra Bullock as well. And I just yeah. think that's so funny. It is. It is very, very funny. Um, yeah. So we'll start with... Uh, best picture though okay. so yeah. i'm just gonna go down the list that uh wikipedia has okay. that's in alphabetical order so all quiet on the western front that is the um, that's the most recent adaptation of the book of the same name mm -hmm. it's set during world war one it's probably the most famous anti-war book anyone's ever yeah. heard of and probably the only anti-war book anyone's ever heard of mm -hmm. because you've more than likely had to read it in school at some point in your life yeah um I personally love the film. Okay. It's uh it's definitely not what I would call a fun film. It's not it very does not true. treat war as a fun thing at all and it's very much in keeping with the book and how um you know, it's all about how war basically just fucks you and everyone around yeah. you up both mentally and physically. Um it's actually the second version of yeah. All Quiet on the Western Front I've seen cuz I saw the uh I saw the 70s version that okay. had Mermaid Man as the, I think he's a colonel. I can't remember if he's a colonel or a sergeant, but he's the older military man that serves as Paul's mentor throughout the story. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, they had 
uh, Ernst Borgnine playing him in the 70s version. It's really weird to think about. Yeah. Um, I think I do like this one more because of the higher production values. Um, and the only thing that I would really say I had an issue with was that the soundtrack for the film is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. There's this occasional weird electronic boom that they use in yeah. certain parts of the film that I don't know why they used it because it sounds really out of keeping with 1917s with late 1910s Europe. Mm-hmm. So, but that was really my only problem with yeah. it. Everything else I thought was really, really good. If it doesn't get best picture, it definitely better win a uh, best foreign film. Yeah. Cause that's what it's also up for. Yeah. All quiet has, I think quite a few nominations. It has, a ton of nominations this year actually it's also nominated for cinematography uh score which i think is interesting because that's the one thing you said you had an issue with was a part of the score which like in its own merit so true i have watched movies where like the score is just not my thing and then it gets nominated and i'm like i guess i hot take don't love the score of the new dune movie by hans zimmer it was just a lot all the time um but it's beloved and like i it's just not for me and that's fine um well, and it won, so yeah. hans zimmer is doing fine yeah. he he gets nominated for he's in he's scoring at least a movie every year at this so point. yeah it's like i can if you look up hans zimmer and look up his uh recordography for films you'll probably see at least one there's per so year. many yeah yeah um I watched All Quiet a while ago. It was one of the first I watched. I watched it before the Oscars were announced. Um, I watched it when the Golden Globe nominations came out because I try, well, I try to see anything I think might get nominated like throughout the year because when I try to watch all the nominees each year, it's a lot of work in like a short amount of time. So I try to cut that down as much as possible and I do that by watching like the Golden Globe nominees, which are always first and like the kickoff for movie award season. And it was nominated for best uh, international film. Um, and so I'm a little more hazy on the details for it. I have nothing against it. I just, it's very much not my wheelhouse of my favorite kinds of movies. I'm not a war picture person, but it is like beautifully shot and I would be very okay with it winning cinematography um and I have no doubt in my mind it's going to win international feature film at the academy just looked at what else is nominated for best cinematography and I swear to the love of god and all the gods and all the heavens and all the pantheons if Elvis wins cinematography I'm going to slit throats in Hollywood so I, true, though. Yeah, which uh, we'll get to that when we get to it. But little teaser: I could not stand how that movie was edited as yeah. I was watching it. I it was so incoherent at points; it was unbearable. Um, but we'll move. But we'll get there when we get there. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got two movies to get through first. Next up, Avatar: The Way of Water, mm-hmm. aka Avatar: The Way Too Late sequel. Um, so true. I wasn't able to watch this one because it came out in theaters mm-hmm. in fall, aka when all the movies that hope to get Oscars come out. Yeah. And um I just didn't get the chance to go see it. So for my part, I can only so I can only speak to my thoughts on there being an Avatar sequel at all. And mm-hmm. 
I haven't even seen the first one, but I do know that for the most part, people view it as okay yeah. outside of its visual effects, which is something I've heard carries over to this new one where mm-hmm. the movie itself is kind of an okay thing with, you know, the acting, it's okay, or it's passable. The script is about as passable as the first one. It's just the effects that really carry it. So, I mean, I guess that works for a sequel to the same thing, basically. Um, My younger sibling has a conspiracy theory that the whole reason they're making another Avatar movie at all is so that uh, James Cameron can discreetly fund making a sequel to Alita Battle Angel. So... We'll see if that's true, if that sequel ever comes out. I love that. Um, I love that little conspiracy theory. That's so fun. Oh, my sibling can go on about their Hollywood conspiracy theories all day. But yeah. Um, but let's, but for the actual movie, you've seen it. Yes. I have. I watched Avatar 2 um, when it came out in December because I went home for uh, winter break and I work at a movie theater at home. And so I got to watch it Jealous. early with my coworkers at midnight. Um, which is a choice for a three-hour movie. Um, Damn, I should work at a movie theater. I want to do that. I love working at a movie theater. Um, I think Avatar 2 does succeed with the visual effects. It is nominated for visual effects, and I would be happy, I'd be content if it won. Um, it is a beautifully shot, like, film. The directing is boring, but like the actual visual effects of it are beautiful. They they took those 13 years and like I guess worked on that stuff cuz it looks great. And I know they also filmed the third and I think half of the fourth one all or it was like the first the second and half of the third or it was something like that. But they filmed like a lot at once. And there's a plan to do 5. Why? And release them every 2 years. Why? I don't know because as I when I watched Avatar 2 all I thought was like I'm literally re-watching the first one except there's children now and I'm that's not interesting to me because one of the biggest downfalls of Avatar is the writing um and you can really feel that in the second one for all the world building James Cameron did for this world of his he can't write it beyond that he apparently. really can't um and one of my favorite characters is Natiri, played by Zoe Saldana. I love her. Um, and she's, like, really shoved to the background in this one. We don't see her nearly as much as we saw her in the first one. Um, Which is weird, because she's the... She's the... Um, she's... What's his name? Jake? Yeah. She's Jake his, Sully. Yeah, she's his wife now by now, right? Yeah. Or, or They're married. Or whatever. They have kids. And for some reason, she's in the background yeah. for about, what, two-thirds of the movie? Yeah. Ouch. It was so disappointing. You got Zoe Saldana in that movie and you're shoving her into the background? What the fuck? I, exactly. And so I'd like, I can't wait for like, so off topic, but Guardians of the Galaxy 3 comes out in May and I know she's in it and I'm so excited to see her again. Um, I'm burned out of Marvel, but you go have fun. Uh, so fair though. Marvel, I heard nothing but bad things about Marvel the latest Marvel is a Man. complicated relationship. Um, but yeah, Avatar, I don't see, I don't really see it winning anything else besides visual effects. I could see it, I guess, pulling some more of the like technical stuff that it might be nominated for. Um, like sound maybe, and maybe production design because the sets are like really cool. 
but it's also mostly visual effects. So I think that's really where all their money is. Um, and I don't see them winning Best Picture. Yeah. I mean, the la- didn't wasn't the first Avatar nominated for Best Picture and didn't win there either? Yeah. Fun. I love this. So, little story, because I think it's so funny. But James Cameron used to be married to Catherine Bigelow, who is a director. She was the first woman to win Best Director at the Oscars. Um Good for her. And she was up against James Cameron Uh-oh. for his avatar, the Uh-oh. first one. And she was nominated for the Hurt Locker and she beat him. Oh. And she won Best Picture with the Hurt Locker against Avatar. Oh, I bet I can see where this is going. I love it. And so I just I think that's so funny. Bearing in mind used to be married. Oh yeah, they're divorced. They were I think they were divorced up like before the show. Oh when okay. she beat him. I think they were like newly divorced. Man. That's got a sting still, yeah. though. Your ex-wife is making better <laughs> movies than you. So true. I think it's so funny. Yeah. I've heard that um, James Cameron can be kind of a pretentious dude, though, mm-hmm. so probably well-deserved. Yeah. I wouldn't want to be married to him. <laughs> Nor would I, honestly. I'm not attracted to men in the first place. Um, we'll take that and move on to uh, The Banshees of Venus Sharon, a.k.a. Irish Civil War Allegory, the movie. Yes. Um, this is another one I did not get a chance to see. Okay. It was on HBO Max, so I could have, but between classes and having to pick which films to watch at uh, about midnight in my room, um, Banshees of Inisherin I felt would just put me to sleep. Mm-hmm. So I didn't end up watching that one. Uh, this is one that I don't know much about myself, aside from the fact that it takes place in Ireland, um, focuses on the friendship between two dudes breaking apart and i would assume given the setting and what everyone says an allegory for over political differences relating to the irish civil war uh that occurred in the 1920s but that's just me guessing so do you have any way to dissuade that or um i hadn't heard about the allegory um in the story if it's there and it very well could be i did not pick up on it um but I'm, I don't know. It could very much be there. I also, I watched Banshees a while ago. I think the day it was, it came on HBO Max or like the day after because it was at that point, um, I think the nominees were out or they were going to be out. And so I was like, got to get through these movies. And Banshees got quite a few nominations this year. Um like nine or something a lot of acting nominations for it too um yep best actor uh best supporting actor twice actress (laughs) writing directing Um, people cannot get enough of martin mcdonough apparently apparently because i know his movie three billboards outside ebbing missouri did really well in terms of oscar nominations and Frances mcdormand won for her role um for best actress so the Academy likes him. Um, Banshees is a really quiet movie, and I like that for it. It's a very, um, you only have like two or three locations you're in for most of it. You spend most of it in a pub, um, and it is about this guy who just decides he doesn't want to be friends with his best friend that he's been friends with for like decades anymore, and he threatens to cut off his fingers and throw them at him if he continues to interact and talk to him and he does that sounds 
unnecessarily harsh. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> um, also, you can tell that Martin McDonough is also a playwright because if this takes place primarily in a pub yeah. with one single location and very few. What are the other locations in the uh, movie? It's remember? like it's the pub, and there's, uh, I think Colin Farrell's. I don't remember anybody's names, uh, but Colin Farrell's character um, lives, I think, with his sister, and so you're in their house a lot. Okay. Um, and then you watch Colin Farrell walk from his house to the pub like eight times at least. You watch him go back and forth so many times, and then you also see. Um, the other friend's house. But there's not like a lot of extravagant sets. Hmm. It's like a yeah. couple. You can definitely, yeah, as I said, you can definitely tell that Martin McDonough's a playwright as well as a filmmaker. Probably yeah. a playwright more than a filmmaker because that sounds like something that could very easily be turned into a stage show yeah. or a stage show that was very easily turned into a film because of such limited locations. Yeah. Um. So, but what but what else did you think of the movie? I it is one of um Aside I like it more than others. It it wasn't like my favorite. I heard a lot of hype around it, so I got really excited and then I was a little disappointed. Um, I do remember seeing advertisements for it all over the goddamn everywhere. place. <laughs> like from um, Academy Award winning director Martin McDonough. His next movie. <laughs> but Irish. Um my favorite character was Jenny. She was a donkey, and I loved her. She was Colin Farrell's character's donkey, and she was great. I feel the 2023 Oscars are the year of donkeys because there's that, and then there's an international film called EO, which follows a donkey. Like, the donkey is the main character. I love that movie. I think it's so cute. Um, shout out to EO because you're getting no attention. Love you, Poland, for that. Um, but, yeah, I don't have... Fucking Germany beating down on Poland again, <laughs> so this time true. at the Oscars. Uh, poor, poor EO. Yeah. That movie was so cute. But yeah, Banshees is just like a quiet little Irish movie. And that's like really the Academy likes to pick like a couple of those. And that one I would say was a front runner for Best Picture at the beginning of award season. And then as award season's gone on, I think it's lost a lot of steam. Yeah. A quiet Irish movie, not to be confused with The Quiet Girl, the other uh, quiet Irish movie that actually is in Irish that got nominated for Best International so Feature true. Film. And there's a live action short called An Irish Goodbye, which is also a short Irish is, and do, quiet movie. Do they actually speak Irish in the movie? Or yes. Are they, okay. Yep. All right. All right. So... And now, oh, Baz Luhrmann, you scamp. Elvis. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. So this one, this one I actually have seen. I watched it uh, a couple nights ago in my room at midnight. It took way too long for one thing. And Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it a horrible movie, but I definitely would not necessarily call it a good one because the first thing I noticed right as the movie was starting, was that the editing was going to give me a headache. Yes. It is... I don't know how many people listening to this have seen a Baz Luhrmann movie, but for some reason the man is addicted to the most bizarre editing and shot composition you can think of for his films. 
And sometimes it works. There's one bit in Elvis, actually, that I thought was really cool when Elvis was talking about why he was always enjoying reading comic books as a kid. And it turned into a comic book style uh, Mm -hmm. sequence where uh, Elvis becomes Captain Marvel and busts his dad out of prison. And I thought that was really cool because it actually, you know, it's a visual representation of what he's talking about. It's really cool. Um, But the rest of the movie with the editing, it's just it just keeps bouncing everywhere so much. And that's and that's not when they're um, playing when they're cross dissolving between settings and sequences oftentimes which is another thing that he was doing with that movie it's definitely a visual tour de force so i can see why it's at least i can definitely see at least why it would be in theory nominated for best uh editing as well Mm -hmm. or best cinematography my bad um both of course (laughs) elvis did well in terms of nominations yeah yeah Am I the only one left in this world who just wants the movies to start where the story begins and then finish where they end? Am I the only one left who wants that? I've had to sit through. I do. I want that so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I've had to sit through this, Christopher Nolan doing it more times than he really should. Mm-hmm. And it's just gotten to the point where I'm thinking, why? We're, you're just doing it to be fancy. Um, but editing aside, I do, editing aside, Elvis is what I like. Elvis is a biopic, a -hmm. musician biopic, and I can never take any of them seriously after watching Walk Hard ever again, because Walk Hard. What's that one about? I haven't heard of that one. Okay, so Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, it's a parody film Mm -hmm. that basically parodies musician biopics that were really big around and i guess they're still big because we had the train wreck that was bohemian rhapsody a couple years ago and now this and it's basically a parody of those kinds of movies where they're trying to follow um where they're trying to follow a, a musician's career from usually its beginnings to roughly where they end usually they end with some big concert like elvis does with yeah i think with his final concert at the international yeah or they end with their death which elvis also does so elvis gets the twofer um but you can immediately tell that walk hard is a parody of all this because one of the first lines one of the earliest lines in the movie is when dewey cox the fictional uh rock star or yeah, I'm pretty sure he's a rock star. The fictional rock star of the movie is centered upon. He's solemn. He's leaning his head against the wall. And one of the aides that's seeing to the, his sh- current show success looks over and says, Dewey Cox needs to think about his entire life before he plays. And then just, it's a long, one elongated flashback. It's a really funny movie. I highly mm-hmm. recommend it. Um, a more recent example would probably be Weird, the Al Yankovic yeah. story. That's which is also a parody of the musician biopic using an actual musician. Um, but yeah, I can, I could barely take Elvis seriously through a lot of it because of that baggage I've got from both walk hard and from weird and mm-hmm. knowing that um, more than a little bit of this movie was probably going to be embellished and uh, yeah, maybe not necessarily fabricated, but exaggerated compared yeah. to what actually happened. Because you're trying to basically tell the story of Elvis from literally when he started, almost literally from when he started getting into music at that um, 
black church gathering in mm-hmm. Mississippi all the way to the man's death. Yeah. So That's a lot to put into a too long movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, it's too long and it's trying to stuff too much into two and a half hours. Yeah. So, but Austin Butler was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought he was, I, I hate Elvis. I don't, I hate that movie. Um, it's one of my, I have like a ranking on my phone of the best picture nominees because I talk about this a lot with my mom and we were like comparing after we both watched all 10. Um, and Elvis is in ninth place for me. I have only one that I hate more. Um, we'll probably get to that in a little bit. We will. Um, but Elvis is, it's, it's so much all the time that I can't like take any of it seriously. Like you said, and Tom Hanks gives like one of the worst performances of his career, which is like such a weird choice for him, like to cast him in that role. And then just like his role in the movie, I know was like greatly exaggerated in like Elvis's story. I've heard a lot of people talk about that in terms of like this big evil manager that like I heard that he did suck, but not to the extent that they made him in the show. Like Elvis has like no bodily autonomy or like yeah. awareness of himself. And Austin Butler did great, but he also hasn't stopped. He, like he's in the news, obviously about how he won't stop doing the Elvis voice. And I'm like, you really got to. I need you to stop, sir. You are not Elvis, and we all know that. Um, it <laughs> it got a lot of attention when he won the Golden Globe for Best Actor, and he did his acceptance speech and um, in the Elvis in the voice Elvis the entire voice. time. And it's not like they filmed Elvis a year ago because all of the movie releases got fucked up with COVID, and so yeah. they filmed Elvis several years ago. Why are you, you stop, sir? If so. Frank Welker can uh, turn his Megatron voice on and off at will, and I've seen footage yeah. of him at conventions, he can literally turn yeah. it off at will. Um, it's not; it shouldn't be that hard for Austin Butler to turn off the Elvis every once in yeah. a while, especially for the public appearances. Like, yes, guy, we get it. You got to play the most famous rock musician of all time, maybe uh, succeeded only by David Bowie, mm-hmm. um, but. It it's just a role, dude. It's yeah. just a role. You'll have more. Um, I will say, I feel like one thing that could have helped the movie, because I always like to when I talk about movies that I don't really like, I always try to mention what could have maybe helped um helped them be better. Yeah. Um I will say one thing I wish that they had done instead was focus on um Basically, just what the beginning was, which was Elvis getting into his rock stardom yeah. and his relationship with Sam Phillips instead of his relationship with Colonel Tom Parker. Because considering Sam Phillips was the guy who was looking for someone who had that, and I'm cleaning up his language here, black sound, um, I feel like that would have been a way more interesting and poignant story to tell yeah. with Elvis and Sam Phillips or Phelps or whatever his name was than just embellishing Colonel Tom Parker's role in Elvis's story. Mm -hmm. It definitely needed to pick like a shorter time frame. I would rather watch. I don't really seek out biopics because they're essentially all the same. Um, 
but I would much rather watch like a specific time in an artist's life if it was like Elvis becoming a rock star or like the downfall of him as a rock star. I would have rather had done that and like really stayed in those moments for two hours and two hours only. I really need people to stop making two and a half, three hour movies because I've watched so many, especially with this award season. And I don't think almost any of them have earned that time commitment. Um, But I think that would just make a more interesting movie because we all, we already know these um, musicians in some capacity. Um, Not that we like know them in their personal life or whatever, but like, I know who Elvis is. Like when you say when you say his name, I know who you're talking about, and yeah. so I would rather spend like do almost like a character study on Elvis instead yeah. of all of this time that you have to fit. Yeah, yeah, and having to having to try and fit all of that into the I think two and a half hour, two hours thirty nine minute runtime. Yeah, especially with Baz Luhrmann's editing the way it is, yeah, almost say it makes it seem like everything's everywhere all at once. <laughs> Which is the next movie on our list to talk about, although it's everything everywhere all at once, which another one I actually did get to see Mm -hmm. again, watched it in my bedroom in the middle of the night. I had heard a lot about this one going in, specifically how everyone was saying if you only watch one multiverse story from 2022, uh, watch everything everywhere all at once. Forget about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Which apparently, uh, according to a friend of mine, Doctor Strange had its script completely rewritten about halfway through production or something like that. I'm, there's so many issues with like the production behind that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Sam Raimi trying to get back into the superhero movie business and he just gets floored like this. Yeah. And um, I also, um, with Doctor Strange, I know we're not talking about that movie, but I have to give a shout out to Sam Raimi because I think people don't understand that it's not his fault that the movie was bad oh no because he's a director and i don't think people understand what a director versus a writer is and a lot of the complaints with um the movie was wanda's character oh yeah and they're correct um criticisms i also had a lot of issues but sam raimi is not the person to blame because he's not the writer you blame the writer you blame the guy who Kevin Feige said Wanda needs to be the bad guy here so that we can introduce this whole multiverse destruction scheme yeah. because we need to reboot this thing here <laughs> shortly and get the X-Men in here yeah. now that we have the rights to them. Because my favorite part of that movie was like the Sam Raimi-ness of it. Like I had fun with that. I thought it was really entertaining, yeah. but the writing was awful. Anyway, <laughs> wrong multiverse the better movie. better um, multiverse yeah, movie. Let's move on to the better one. Um, everything, everywhere, all at once. Um... Evelyn Wang, uh, I think that's her name anyway, Um, she's trying to get out of being audited by the IRS and isn't terribly accepting of her daughter dating a white girl. And as if that wasn't problematic enough, uh, suddenly she's being summoned to save the multiverse from a different version of her own daughter Mm -hmm. who's just trying to... I'll save any spoilers for what she's actually after, but short version is that she wants Evelyn for some reason, Mm -hmm. and you figure that out later. Um, I really liked the movie. Mm -hmm. Um... I would say I'm not 100% sure how much the movie is a movie I would watch regularly. Um, yeah. But I definitely enjoyed it. I enjoyed the comedy. I enjoyed the action when it was there. Um, fuck the brilliant um, way that they had jumped universes by doing the unexpected. Yeah. Um, and the fight over a butt plug of all things yeah. in that movie. 
That was not something I was expecting to not see in my moving repertoire either. in 2022. Um, but there it was, even though I technically watched this movie in 2023, but let's not worry about semantics. Um, you know, and cast was great. It was nice to see short round getting work again. Cause mm-hmm. he has, he literally, I don't think he has acted in any film um, since playing short round in Indiana Jones and the temple of doom. I cannot remember the actor's name, unfortunately. I think it's, I always say it wrong and it's really embarrassing, but I think it's Kiwi Kwan. Yeah. Uh, Ki Hui Kwong, I think. Yeah. yeah. Wayman I Wang. I love him. <laughs> I love him so much. He's my favorite part of that movie. There are so many things to like about the movie. He's my favorite part. Oh, if yeah. If he doesn't win Best Supporting Actor, I will be so angry. Well, he's up against Brandon Gleason and Barry Keegan for Banshees of Inisherin, mm-hmm. so he's got a double threat in there. But I think I he's going to be fine. I think out of the four acting categories, he's probably the best lock-in based on... Um, previous awards he hasn't lost to anybody he won the golden globe he won he if he lost anything it was the bafta because the baftas are racist and they always give it to the white people and if they can the british movie they don't give a fuck i swear oh Um, england but he won like the golden globe he won the sag that was a big deal. He won the Independent Award, which is a mix. They don't separate their acting awards by gender. So he mm. beat Jamie Lee Curtis. Ooh. Um, Who is up for Best Supporting uh, Actress, fittingly yeah. enough, along with Stephanie Hsu as Joy. Love um, her as Joy so much. Oh, yeah. It's just a great movie. It's so. a great cast, great performances. And my pick and everybody's pick for Best Actress should be Michelle Yeoh. I actually won't take any arguments. That is the correct answer. I mean, you're not getting any from me, not least of all because uh, all the other Best Actress nominees are in movies I haven't seen, which mm. we'll get to, we'll get to it we'll get yeah. to in a minute. Um, but yeah, I'd say uh, yeah, this was a this was a very surprisingly fun movie with a title and a premise like that. I wouldn't think that a movie as anarchic as this with its premise and its story would be nearly as coherent as it was Mm -hmm. so take that elvis the guys who made a multiverse movie still somehow made a more coherent film than baz lerman than a real person that would be so easy to do Yeah. yeah i i love everything everywhere at once i watched it twice um i watched it in 2020 in like may when it first got its wide release um, and then I watched it again with my mom like a month ago. Um, I'm, this might be a sin. I'm not in love with it as much as other people. I mean, I'm not either. It's, so. <laughs> I love it, but it's not to me like the best movie ever made. Um, but I'm also not mad that people think that because it's refreshing for a movie I actually like to get so much attention with the Academy because that doesn't happen very often. And I think everything is like probably a front runner for best picture. And I would be so happy if it won. Yeah. So, but it's I love that. It'd definitely be a well-deserved win. Yeah. Um, it is, however, up against an Academy darling, which mm. I guess is a nice transition to the Fablemans, AKA not Steven Spielberg, the biopic. Mm-hmm. Um, this is another one I haven't, I wasn't able to see. I do hear that it's at least a little bit more condensed in terms of being a biopic than Elvis was, 
and it's mostly about Spielberg's yeah. early years getting into filmmaking through the lens of a fictional family. Yeah. Um, fittingly titled F- having fable in the name, you know, fable story. Uh-huh. Well done. Um, and you know, it did sound like an interesting movie at yeah. least because it is, I hear it has much more about the filmmaking process and what goes into actually making a movie than you'd expect out of a biopic of a filmmaker. Um, but Again, I haven't seen it, so what did you think about it? I love The Fablemans. Um, I am a sucker for this kind of movie. Uh, I love movies about movies, and I love Steven Spielberg. Um, I was happy to see him again doing another movie because I didn't love West Side Story. Um, I also just don't love the genuine or the general like premise of West Side Story, which is essentially Romeo and Juliet, and I don't like that either. Um, it's a very dated story that doesn't always translate yeah. well to other time periods. Uh, but I, you can just tell that the person who made this movie <laughs> loves movies. And it's it's a movie that I would recommend seeing in theaters if you can, which is, like, really hard now, obviously. Um, but I saw it in theaters, and that just, like, helped the experience of it so much. It is long. And as much as I've been, like, shitting on long movies, it is, like, one of the my critiques of the Fablemans is that it's also slightly over like two and a half hours, but it does follow essentially Steven Spielberg, but not Steven Spielberg. (laughs) Um, at, from him when he's like a little kid seeing a movie, I think for the first time in a theater and then falling in love with cinema and him going through boy Scouts, which I thought was really fun because he was a boy scout. That was just, it was, it was a fun thing that obviously he would add because it's about his life. But I don't know how many people actually know that about him. So I that didn't. was like a fun detail. Um, and the kid, I don't remember his name, but the guy who plays essentially Steven Spielberg, that actor, he just did a really good job. And that was really, I just, I fell in love with that movie. I really did. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would love to see it at some point, too, mm-hmm. because I do like a lot of. I haven't seen a lot of Spielberg movies, which is a cardinal sin for someone who says he likes movies. Um, but it's just a time okay. thing. And there are many of them. Yeah, I love Spielberg, but I haven't seen as much as I should. Yeah. Claiming a Spielberg lover as I am. Yeah. I have at least seen Jurassic Park and Saving Private Ryan. Mm-hmm. So there there are at least those. Um, and now, with that in mind, we'll move on to... I'm pretty sure you said this one was your least favorite of the Oscar mm, nominees. Uh, one Todd Fields tar, mm-hmm. which for some reason isn't about oil barons, despite the title. Um, mm-hmm. Instead, it's about a conductor. And this is not only yeah. the movie I have, one of the movies I haven't seen. It's also the one I know the least about. Yeah. Because, I mean, I- I'm sure there's a way you could make a movie about a, com- about a, about a composer or a conductor. I mean, that's basically the whole point of Amadeus. You get both, as well as uh, as well as Tom Hulse's high pitched laughter mm-hmm. from that film. Um, but Tar, I just have no idea what the hell's going on with this one, aside from the fact that Galadriel is the lead actress. So, care to enlighten me more about this? Sure, I yeah. Um, Tar is my least favorite nominated for Best Picture, which in and of itself is apparently a hot take because people seem to be obsessed with it when it came out. I watched it when it was released on Peacock, 
because I didn't want to pay for it. Um, and it's another movie that's too long. It's like two and a half hours. Um, and I feel like for this type of story, it really didn't need to be. But it is, it's about a fake composer named Lydia Tarr, played by Kate Blanchett. Um, and it was kind of awful. Like, <laughs> I hate that movie so much. Because um, the things that I would want in a movie about a not real person, so you can do whatever you want, is, I don't know, if she's a composer, I mean, she's more of a conductor, but she does compose. Um, I'd want to maybe actually see her conducting and or composing, and you don't see that as much as you think you would. She has, like, one scene where she's teaching a class and she gets mad at a kid because he doesn't like Bach. Um, and it was really tone deaf. Um, I've heard that Bach is base, is considered by the music world the patron saint of classical music. So I don't know. I don't know if not, ne- of not liking Bach and getting told off for it is necessarily far-fetched, but I would believe you in that the scene is treated as rather tone deaf. Yeah, it wasn't, like... It was her reasoning because the guy explains that they are a person of color, gender, queer, non-conforming. And I think they're talking about, I'm pretty sure they're talking about Bach. I might be totally wrong, but they're talking about Bach. And apparently Bach is like, well, he's he doesn't have any of those identities. So none of that is like in his music. And so the student is like, why would I want to listen to his music or anything when I can't relate to that and he's like kind of an awful person and so they have that discussion essentially about separating the art from the artist which in and of itself is its own topic and I think if Todd Field is trying to do something with his movie he might be doing the same thing with Lydia Tarr because we find out she's also an awful person (laughs) um but should we still celebrate her music I don't know if that's what he's going for that's the only merit I could give him um, and Todd Field, probably my least favorite part about that movie, he's the writer and director. Lydia Tarr was originally written as a man, and I can tell. Oh, really? Because Todd Field can't write women. Oh, dear. Um, if that's a tough break for him, I'm, I'll tell him. Apparently, the Academy obviously disagrees, because he's nominated for writing, um, I don't think his directing is very interesting either, but he's also nominated for that. Um, also, going back to that bit where somehow um, Bach not being uh, gender nonconforming or LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. or anything, I don't quite see how that being the case necessarily means that someone who is any of those things couldn't enjoy his music because yeah. it's all orchestral. Uh, there's no... I don't remember if he composed any... Um, um, lyrical pieces i do know he composed the toccata and fugue in d minor which everyone loves to hear around halloween regardless of mm-hmm. what your identities are so i don't quite know again i don't quite know where the logic is going with that like if this yeah. was about the scene doesn't make sense it sounds like it doesn't make <laughs> sense and i've only heard it described to me um but if that's the indication of Todd Field's writing abilities then clearly i dodged a bullet with this one yeah it's like easily the one you can i I would pass on it the most, obviously, because it's my least favorite. Um, and I know people are obsessed with Kate Blanchett's performance. I thought she was fine. I didn't like. I don't think she had a lot of room to do a lot except be angry. And when you're angry and a woman in a movie, 
the Academy tends to really like that. Um, How telling of them. I know. Uh, but um, with this year's ceremony, Kate Blanchett already has two Oscars for better movies than this. And so I think even if, and it's not the better performance, but even if you think it's the better performance, it still shouldn't win. It should just go to Michelle Yeoh. Uh, it should just go to Michelle Yeoh and be yeah. done with it. Um, it's obviously like very much a career Oscar for Michelle Yeoh. She hasn't been recognized for decades of work, and so give her her award, please. We're begging you. It's please. such a much more interesting role, and she does so much more with it. The role comes with like so much physicality. That Kate yeah. Blanchett didn't have to like because those are obviously the two front runners. There's no real discussion about the other three, um, and so if you're comparing those two, I don't see how you would pick Kate over Michelle. I love Kate Blanchett. This is no hate to Kate Blanchett, and she doesn't even really seem to want the award because like she <laughs> understands the situation. Um, Smart woman. So give it to Michelle. Yeah, Michelle Yo deserves it. Damn it. Um, speaking of career actors, though, mm. um, Tom Cruise. Yeah. It's time to take to the skies and again and talk about Top Gun Maverick because that's the next one up. I have seen this one. I watched it last night and I will admit I did enjoy it, actually. Mm -hmm. But that might be because I wanted to be a fighter pilot when I was a kid. So learning how to fly a jet fighter and not die in the process is basically what I would have been doing today if it weren't for the fact that I'm colorblind and therefore not qualified to fly yeah. anything. Um, but yeah, I had a fun time with this. I would describe it as a two hour buildup to a lie to a real world version of the death star trench run in a new hope, because that's almost exactly what this yeah. is without the gun turret shooting at you. Um, but for a two hour buildup to a real world reenactment of the death star trench run, it's a, pretty damn good one mm -hmm. um i would definitely describe it i've described it to my friends and my family as the top gun movie that deserved to be made because they actually told a story about fighter pilots instead of just making an ad for the navy mm. so, that's a good description yeah i agree with that i i like top gun as like if i'm looking at it simply as a film i like it it's a fun time I love the cast of the new characters, specifically Miles Teller and Glenn Powell. I love both of them. And I love Danny Ramirez, even though he's only in it for like six minutes um, <laughs> of like actual screen time. Uh, but yeah, I, they, they, I love them. Yeah. yeah, they bring in this whole other set of fighter pilots at during at the bar at the first bar scene and they don't show up for the rest of the movie or don't play any yeah. major roles for the rest of the movie. Um, I do think Top Gun is like... The amount of Oscar nominations it has is weird to me. A lot of them I don't, like, I just don't agree because I think the movie is very okay. Um, I would have picked other movies for Best Picture before I would have picked Top Gun. Um, but I would also say that about a lot of the nominees. It's not my, it's like very much in the middle of my ranking. Um, but people who are fans of this movie piss me off more than the movie. I, like the movie's oh, fine, dear. but the fans are like, "This is, this is the return of cinema," and I'm like, "Okay, a Top Gun sequel." It made money, yeah. I won't disagree with you, but Tom Cruise didn't single-handedly save 
theaters with this movie. Yes, it's a billion dollar movie, but six months before it, Spider-Man No Way Home came out and was also a billion dollar movie. And then six months later, Avatar 2 came out and is a $2 billion movie. So respect, and I don't like Tom Cruise. So I don't think anybody That does. doesn't help either. But I'm like, Tom Cruise did not save theaters. No. So the fans of the movie make me dislike it more. But when I actually like watch, I'm like, yeah, this is fine. This is a fun time. Yeah. I love a good, I love a good easy blockbuster. And so it, I think it's interesting that it got the attention it did. And I do think it's better than the original. Yeah. Which I watched the same day I watched the sequel. I was like, I need to see what's going on because my coworkers were obsessed with it. To be fair, I watched it without seeing the original, and mm-hmm. you don't necessarily you don't need to. to see the original. They to get will it. spell out the plot of the first <laughs> one for you in any way that's relevant to the second one. Yeah, which is most of it, considering the main conflict is between Maverick and the son of his dead uh, backseater. Yeah. Who is understandably resentful that, you know, his dad got killed under his watch. Yeah. And then he promptly, and then he promptly got him started preventing him from continuing his own Navy pilot career. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, that's, that's Top Gun. It's definitely, it's definitely a solid, okay movie. Exactly. And, and yeah. a good way to waste, and a good way to spend two hours, especially if you're a fighter pilot nut like I was when I was a kid and still kind of am mm-hmm. because even if I can't fly, I can always dream. Um, and then we get up to the more obscure ones that I don't think a lot of people have heard of. These are the last yeah. two of the best pictures. Triangle of Sadness is the first one. There's another one I haven't seen. And the best I can gather is it's another movie about how the rich really suck. Yeah. Especially to each other. Yeah. I've seen Triangle of Sadness and the menu compared to each other a little bit because they're both very much about capitalism and like rich people ruining the world. Um, and very commentary heavy on that. I personally like the menu better, but that's because it's shorter and it's like a horror movie and I love horror. Um, I don't have a lot of feelings about Triangle of Sadness because I think most of it probably went over my head, to be honest. Um, I I think the cast is great and I think they did a good job. It's told in three parts. Um and I like the first and the third part, and I thought the second part, which is the part that I think it's known for being on a cruise. Like, I think all of the movie posters show a boat. Yeah. The That's cruise is definitely, only the second part. Yeah. The cruise is definitely what I saw advertised the most. Yeah. So. Um, that was my least favorite part, and I found myself getting <laughs> bored. Um, but the ending of it did a lot for me, where I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> light, light switch moment, light bulb moment. But it's not like it's not a favorite. It's not a least favorite. It's very much in the middle for me. But I do know it was a very um, controversial pick for the Academy. Like a lot of people were surprised it was nominated for Best Picture. Really? And after watching it, I don't really understand why. I don't think it's any more controversial than like nominating Babylon for anything because that's very much a critique of Hollywood. And apparently a way worse movie, what you told I me yesterday that is movie. true. That's also a hot take. Some people really love it, and I hate that movie so much. Um, was so happy to see it shut out of like the big categories. No acting, no writing, no directing, no best picture. Thank you. Sweet, sweet schadenfreude. <laughs> yeah, but Triangle Sadness, it was good. 
I would give it one watch and never again. Like I don't, I don't feel the need to watch it again. Um, but I'm not like mad I watched it. Okay, that's that's fair to expect from a movie. Like as long as it doesn't make me mad, then I'm good. Uh, yeah. All right, last best picture nominee, the one at the very bottom because the title starts with a W. Women talking, mm-hmm. which I do know a bit more about this one. And I didn't get to see it because it didn't get a wide release until this year, because that's what the Oscar noms and the movie shooting for Oscar nominations do. Yeah. Is they do a very limited release at the very end of the at the very end of the year, and then they go into wide release the next year to build up all that hype. Yeah. So I do know that this one is based on a book mm-hmm. also called Women Talking. And it's based on an incident that occurred at this Mennonite colony in um I think it was Brazil. It was, it was some. It was. I know it was a country in South America. Yeah, some South I, American country. Yeah, where um, a bunch of the women woke up one day to discover that they had been um, assaulted in their sleep, and they eventually um, found out that what was happening was that the guys were basically gassing them with a knockout gas to keep them unconscious while they while they went ahead and violated them while they were unconscious. Mm-hmm. And the whole movie is basically them figuring out what to do about it. Um, yeah. So there's another one I haven't seen. And so I'm just going to leave the floor to you, Sam, to kind of carry me on this one outside of the premise of the movie. Yeah, I I love this movie. It's, it's also a quiet movie, but in the way that worked for me in a way that Banshees didn't. Not that I didn't like Banshees. I thought it was fine, but I loved women talking. Um, and it it is what the title is. It is just w- women talking about this instance for like an hour and 40 minutes. Um, Sounds like a, a more manageable runtime, though. It very much was. And I really appreciated that when I saw it. Um, but it has like really good performances from Jesse Buckley, I think is her name. And Claire Foy and Rooney Mara are kind of like the leads of the movie. Um, and I was really sad that Women Talking only got two nominations this year for Best Picture in Writing. Um, but I I love um, I love the movie because it talks about this. You have this one issue of these men are hurting the women and they we cannot be around them anymore, and so they have to decide if they're going to stay and fight for their home or if they're going to leave. Those are the two choices that they've decided on because they voted while the men were gone that they were not going to stay and do nothing. So these are their two choices. And they just talk about all of the ins and outs that come with these issues and all of the like rhetoric around sexual assault against women um, that is still very poignant today yeah, and very relevant. Yeah. Um, and it just, it really got me. I don't know. And I just, it was so great to see because the Academy tends to be very male-dominated in... um, So to see a movie that was very much talking about a womanly issue. Like, I wouldn't say any of the movies other than Everything Everywhere All at Once had, like, more than one or two women in the cast. And so I, it was just, it was great to see. It passes the Bechdel test. A lot of these don't. Um... But it's just, it's a quiet movie that I really enjoyed. It's definitely one that, like, you don't just turn on to watch something. You have to have an intent to watch it because of the subject matter. And it doesn't really let up. Like, that is what the movie is for so long. Yeah. Yeah. 
Interesting. Uh, yeah. Isn't there a? I did see a clip. Isn't there like the one main dude in the movie is the guy who's recording? Basically, yes. their meeting recorder. Yeah, the main guy. Um, I think his name is Gus. Gus, Gus. <laughs> he, yeah, he's there because they don't know how to read or write, and is so that... he's keeping a record because is... the men won't teach them. Oh God, do Mennonites really do that? <laughs> I wouldn't know, but I wouldn't be surprised. Um, oh God. But yeah, so watching them vote was really interesting in the movie because they just drew pictures of like to represent stay or leave or stay and do nothing, stay and fight or leave. Hmm. Sorry. Um, And then they just ticked like little tick marks to vote because they don't know how to read or write. And he he kept the record for them. Um, And then there was an interesting conversation as well about like like the role of a nice guy who's not hurting them and like his role or even just men's roles in these conversations that are so heavily affecting women. It's purely to be support. Yeah. And not necessarily not standing up for them, but definitely, you know, making sure that they are the ones who get to speak for it. Right. Knowing when to backing them up when it's needed. Yeah. Definitely a movie that maybe I'll watch one day when I feel the need. Yeah. Um, right. So those are the best picture nominees. Um, they're the ones that get all the attention, but because we are actually egalitarian in our love of films, we are not going to let the animated films fall by the wayside. So we're going to talk about Never. those two really quick because I love animation. You said you love animation. I love animation. And my younger sibling really loves animation. And if I don't talk about it in this episode, she will string me up by my entrails when I get home. So I will make sure that that doesn't happen. And I've actually seen most of the movies that were nominated for Best Picture this year, even though that's mostly because there's only five. Yeah, it Um, does help. (laughs) It does help. So we'll start with Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which Mm -hmm. I watched last night. And... Like everyone likes to joke, easily the best Pinocchio movie of 2022. Mm-hmm. Not a high yeah. bar to jump over because of the other two. I can say that without watching the other ones. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but also, I think it's a good movie and a good adaptation of the Pinocchio story. Um, the one that everyone knows is the 40s Disney one, and I guess now the 2022 one for some reason, albeit for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I do think that Guillermo del Toro did do a good job making his own version of mm-hmm. the Pinocchio story. It's got a bit of a setting update. It moves from, I think, the original when the original book is set, which I'm pretty sure is either... I'm pretty sure it's pre-World War I Italy, because the book is Italian. Mm-hmm. But it moves it to um, the interwar period in World War II, still in Italy, um, mm-hmm. but just the interwar period in World War II. And it switches some characters around. The fox becomes a real guy and gets melded with the carnival owner. And then the coachman becomes a, a Italian fascist recruiter. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, dis- even despite those arguably drastic changes, I still thought they worked really well with the story because I could recognize that, yes, this is the story of Pinocchio and that all the elements to Pinocchio's story are there. Mm-hmm. And finally, the stop motion is fucking beautiful. Like we do not get enough stop motion movies these days for how good they tend to look. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Like we've got Leica up here in Oregon, which I don't remember. I don't know if they've released anything since that um, Abominable Snowman movie from a couple of years ago. But I'm waiting for them to get another movie out one of these days. Yeah. And I'm sure I'll enjoy it because I've enjoyed every Leica movie I've ever seen. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah, I got to catch up on their stuff. Um, I think Pinocchio is fine. I It's not my favorite of the category at all. Um, I've, I've seen all of them. And I think it's actually my least favorite. Really? Yeah. Um, I... I'm not very well versed in Pinocchio movies and like all their adaptations. Um, but the story itself just, it's not like my cup of tea, I guess. Yeah. Like it's, it's fine. But there were other movies this year that I just I loved. And it's pretty obvious that Pinocchio is going to win. And so it just makes me kind of sad because there are some others that came out that I feel like didn't get the attention they deserved. Um, but people love Del Toro. I like Del Toro. I want to get more into his stuff because I haven't like seen his like really big stuff. But I want to because people love him. Yeah. Um, I but think- yeah. I think my sibling has, I know they've seen Pan's Labyrinth and they recommended I watch that one. And then they also watched Pacific Rim and highly recommended that one. Um, so I might get to them too one mm-hmm. of these days. Um, but yeah, and I can see what you mean by Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio maybe not being the most deserving of the award because as much as I enjoyed the movie, it's definitely a very, I hesitate to say safe movie because for reasons that I'll avoid elaborating on for now, for the sake of anyone who wants to see the movie and be reasonably surprised, Mm -hmm. there is some really kind of dark shit in there. And it's, and yet despite the dark shit that's in there, it's still a very safe film that anybody can watch at any age. And it's not pushing any, you know, anyone's buttons necessarily. Yeah. Um, but that's what I can say about that one because I've seen it. And now we move on to one that I haven't seen. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which mo- keeping trends running. I also have not seen this one, mainly because I couldn't figure out where I could. Yeah. Because I looked for streaming services that might be streaming it. It didn't. I didn't see any of them. Yeah. And I couldn't see if it was playing in any of the cinemas that I was within reasonable distance mm-hmm. of. So I have no idea where I had no idea and still have no idea where the hell you can watch this movie. Yeah. Seeing Marcella Show Shoes on was so difficult. I watched it in September um, for National Cinema Day, um, which is September 3rd. I love that. That's a thing, by the way. Tickets were three dollars because it's September 3rd. And I love that. Um, But I watched it in a little theater in Portland um, right before school started. And I had to leave Portland. And come to school in Corvallis. Uh, but I love Marcella Show She's On. It's my favorite animated film this year. Um, it's so cute. And it just it has such a fun little journey that it goes on. And it's short. I love short movies. It's like an hour and 20 minutes. Or like a little longer. But it's like slightly under 90 minutes. And Jenny Slate does great with the Marcel voice. I know that there were, like, Marcel shorts in, like, 2012 or something. Yeah. And then he made it a feature-length film. 
And it just, it got to me. I cried like three times. I just, it was so cute. And I think at that point, I was kind of in a rut with the movies I had been watching where I was like, yeah, I kind of like these or I really hate these. And then I watched this one and I just fell in love with it. Um, and I haven't, and I want to rewatch it so bad and I can't find it anywhere. Um, and I really don't want to rent it. I don't know if it's available to rent. It might be, but I want it to be streaming immediately so I can rewatch it because I just loved it so much. Yeah. Well, for, yeah, I can at least tell you something that's going to be streaming here shortly enough and Mm. I can introduce it with a musical cue. That note has been in my head ever since seeing Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. They drill that into your brain every time it shows up, and it is the scariest fucking thing in the entire movie is that whistling tune. So true. They did Um, such a good job. Yeah. yeah. And they did a really good job with the movie, too. Mm -hmm. Out of the the three of the animated movies I got to see, this one was easily my favorite of the bunch. Mm -hmm. Um, You wouldn't expect a sequel to Puss in Boots to be this good. I don't think anybody did. But then they come but then it comes along and you realize, oh wow, this is actually better than most of the Shrek movies that are out there. Um I don't think it's better than Shrek 2 necessarily. That one's still my favorite. <laughs> but yeah, I w- Puss in Boots the Last Wish was so so much fun. Mm-hmm. And I like that they updated the animation style from mm-hmm. the more realistic one that they used in the original movie to this more cartoony one that's yeah. very obviously Spider-Verse inspired, but I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. And they've technically been doing that since the bad guys. Um, mm-hmm. But again, I don't think it's a bad thing. Spider-Verse is a great movie. And part of the thing that makes it so great is its unique 3D style. And I do think that stylizing your 3D instead of just trying to do the same uh Disney Pixar illumination looking stuff. Right. What I half jokingly refer to as balloon people. Um, so true. <laughs> I think doing stylizing your 3D more instead of just making balloon people all the time is the way to go to both better animate your movie and make your 3D movie more stand out. And Puss in Boots definitely stands out mm-hmm. with those designs and that style. Um, and it has a surprisingly deep story. Yeah. All things told. Yeah. Um, like confronting the inevitability of death mm-hmm. in a kids movie or in a movie that is meant to be accessible to kids. I don't yeah. think anyone was expecting that. Um, yeah, I, I could go on for hours, but we don't want to take that long. We're already going long enough as we are. So yeah. what did you think? I was so surprised and pleasantly so by Puss in Boots because I remember I watched it cause it was nominated for the golden globe. Um, and I was doing my prep work and it was out at my theater and I was like, okay, I'll go see it. And then I was like, this is so good. Why did they don't, they can't do that. What are they doing? (laughs) No, I loved the animation. The animation was so pretty. I loved, I just, I loved looking at the movie because they just did such a good job. But I also just thought the story was great. And, um, Florence Pugh's in it for voice work, obviously. Um, as Goldilocks, and that was fun for me. This is definitely the better her. movie she was in this year mm. compared to uh, yeah. Don't Worry, Darling. Yeah. What a mess that film was. It was. It's a mess I enjoyed, but it is a mess. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Puss in Boots was just it was such a fun time, and that's like such a good example for like great kids' movies or great animated movies that are targeted towards kids. Like, that movie's just great. Yeah. 
Love um, animated. We we stand <laughs> animation in this podcasting room. So true. And on this university campus, yeah. or I will make everyone do it <laughs> instead. Um, and yeah. Spider Verse won an Oscar, by the way. If you didn't know. Oh no, it I won did. Its year. Yeah. No, which is I just remember. So great. I remember yeah. because that was the year that Wreck It Ralph two of all things was up there for God knows why. And Disney had the temerity to put um, uh, display stands for DVD releases with the Academy Award winning mm. label on them, despite the fact that the awards haven't even been announced yet. Um, Weird. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we're not at the Disney nominee yet. Um, <coughs> pardon me. Um, we have one more to get through before we get to the Disney one, mm-hmm. which is... The Sea Beast. Yes. Which is Netflix's entry alongside Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. This was a movie that I like to say was tailor made for me. Yeah. Because I love this film's aesthetic and its setting. Yeah. Which is, you know, mid 18th slash late 17th century setup with sailing and uh, the costumes of the times and. You know, it's basically everything I could ever want in an adventure movie about sailing the seven seas. Mm-hmm. Pirates of the Caribbean is my guilty pleasure film yes. series. So having a movie about having an animated version of that, albeit with an actually actual fantasy setting that isn't trying to ground itself in real life. Not that Pirates of the Caribbean necessarily does that anyway. It very much sticks to itself. Um, but that is very much up my alley. Yeah. So... I had a rip-roaring good time with this one. I can sing the sea shanty about Captain Crow on command whenever asked. Um, and I do think that it had um, a good setup and setting and all that stuff. Where I kind of fell off the movie a little bit was towards the end. And, yeah. Or maybe not, maybe even before the end, maybe about, about two-thirds of the way through the movie when suddenly the message I thought they were going for for the film suddenly changes yeah. about halfway through the movie because, I again, it's a case where I thought they were going for one message and then they end up going with a different one at the very end. And I get the feeling that might have been a scripting thing where they were still trying to find out the movie, but then Netflix said, hurry up and finish before you run up, before we take away the rest of your money. Yeah. So they went, ah, crap, we'll just have to go with this one we've got, even though it kind of doesn't match up with itself very well. Yeah. Um. Because you expect a movie that more or less is a high fantasy version of Moby Dick to be about the hunting of the whale and the ultimate end of hunting of the whale, yeah. not where it goes in the end, which I won't spoil for anyone who wants to see the movie and figure out what we're talking about. I'm waiting for my younger sibling to see the movie so I can tell them, mm-hmm. um, but that's a story for when they finally see it. They do want to, though, so that's nice, um, but... I'm not going to hog the mic all all day, so you go ahead. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed The Sea Beast. It was just like a really fun movie to watch. I love the animation style for this one, too. It was a little different than, or maybe just like the way people were drawn. Not necessarily like the of the ultimate like outcome. Like it, it very much has a very typical styling. Yeah. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I you might get it. You might, it's whatever. I do. I do. Okay. They do look like uh, they do look like they're not that far removed from what Disney would put out yeah. in their animated pictures or Pixar for that matter. But the setting and the costuming that they wear, yeah, kind of makes it's so it great. And I love 
the like sea shanty. I loved those, and I loved the relationship between the two main characters. I thought yeah. that was really fun to explore, and just the creative whale monsters. Yeah. I thought those were great. I really enjoyed it. And I was happy, too, because sometimes they put, like, an oddball into the animated category when I'm like, why is this here? I remember when a Shaun the Sheep movie was nominated, like, two or three years ago. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing here? Uh, and I hadn't heard of this movie almost at all until it was nominated. And I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. It was a really fun time. It's a fun oddball than yeah. nothing else. Yeah. Apparently, they are, they are working on a sequel. So, which is good because the ending does definitely leave things a little bit open ended yeah. with one of their uh, lines at the end. So, and I may not have been 100% on board with the ending because of how it kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. But I will definitely watch that I'll sequel. I'll watch it. I will yeah. gladly watch that sequel. Um, and now we get to Disney slash Pixar's yearly entry for the animated film category Turning Red. Turning Red. The, one of the poor movies that I think was in theaters for about a week and a half before they had to shove it onto Disney Plus if it even lasted that long. It never made it to theaters from what I remember because I was it came out I think or was supposed to come out in theaters over spring break so I was at work at my at my theater and we had we got like the posters came in the mail and like we got all the stuff ready for it and then Disney pulled it from theaters before it even premiered. Oof. Um, I still have a poster though. (laughs) <laughs> souvenir i love it um but yeah i that movie was done so dirty with not getting a theatrical release as dirty as strange world though no because they did get one it just didn't do well oof <laughs> anyway yeah uh, but i haven't been able to i wasn't able to see turning red because i didn't watch it before i had to let my disney plus subscription go because mm. i just couldn't afford it at the time being and I wanted to get a month a month long one to watch it, but I never got around to it. And when I tried to do it, I may have accidentally locked myself out of the account that I didn't actually cancel along with a subscription. So yeah. that's going to be a technical nightmare to deal with. But I do know the premise of you know a kid in two thousand two Canada of Chinese descent. I think she's a third generation immigrant from China. Yeah. Um. And her family has this hereditary curse that turns them into giant red pandas under extreme stress. Yep. And um, I do know that the, that the main conflict of the movie is May. That's her name, right? The yeah. Kid? Yeah, is May seeing it as not inherently a bad thing and even using it to make money. Yes. Um, by hustling all her classmates, which is Power great. Power to you. I, I love that I premise of hustling your superpower. It's fucking yeah. hysterical and fun. Um. But then the other conflict is her mother, who sees it as a de facto negative for yeah. most for most of the movie, at least. Um, so, and I heard middling things about the movie, but they did lean more towards the positive side of things, yeah. mostly because, from what I understand, the movie can be kind of contrived in places. Mm. Um, but that might have just been um, for some people's tastes. Yeah, and it. From what I've gathered, it's basically a kind of either you it's not a love it, your hate it sort of thing. It's a you really like it or you kind of like it is the yeah. best way I would describe it. I would expect myself to watch it and kind of like it, like not see it as anything bad and be generally enjoyed, especially with the hustling of the superpower thing. Yeah. Um, But I understand that you really like it. I so. loved Turning Red. Turning Red, I watched when it premiered on Disney Plus pretty soon after. 
Um, and it was my personal front runner for best animated film. I was like, it has to get nominated. It has to win. And then I watched Marcel and my feelings got conflicted. Um, but turning red is just, it's, it's like an allegory for, um, puberty too, especially for young women, because this movie follows a group of friends who are all young women and it has that mother daughter relationship that I love to see because you can do so much with it. And I think they, they have really interesting like conversations that I won't relate to because I'm not an immigrant or um, Chinese, but it was just really cool to to have that representation on film. Yeah. Um, and I know the movie was met with a lot of criticism from a very certain type of demographic who the film is simply just not made for. Dude bros. Yeah. 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 Bunch of like old white men were like, I can't relate to this. And I'm like, sometimes, believe it or not, the movie's not made for you in mind. Sometimes they make them for other people. Yeah. Crazy. And even then, would it kill you to have at least a little bit of empathy for the movies that aren't made for you? I've seen movies that aren't made for me. And Turning Red is definitely one of them, even though I haven't seen it. But I've seen other ones that weren't made for me, and I still enjoy them well enough. Yeah. I had uh, most of them were films that my younger sibling watched. And I didn't really much care for them, but I sat through them anyway because, you know, they're for they're for my younger sibling. And yeah. Yeah, they're not made for me, but I can at least try and at least enjoy it or at least watch it for what it is and yeah. judge it for what it is. And, you know, so what if it's not made for you? Right. Everybody wants their everyone needs their movies. Guys. And there's something you can get out of turning red. Like if you can't get anything <laughs> out of it, then you just hate movies that don't like center white men i i guess because i like i watched it with my dad and he had a great time so obviously an old white man can enjoy it you just hate movies that aren't about you but it's such it's so it's such a fun time it really embraces the like fangirl experience a lot of young women go through that they've been demonized for for like decades and made fun of. And yeah, so that was really fun to that. watch. Um, Cause they're obsessed with a K-pop group. And I just think that's so fun. I thought they were just, they're not like, K-pop. They're a boy band. Yeah. I was about to say, Ooh. I thought they were just some yeah. backstreet. Boys Four town. Off. That's what they're called. Oh God. Four town. They're not a K-pop <laughs> group. <laughs> but they is, are like a boy band. Yeah. Yeah. They're very like one direction esque. Which is hilarious. Cause I don't think one direction was around in 2002 or no. if they were, they weren't nearly as big as they were about a decade. At least that's later. what they reminded me of, but that could just because that was the big boy <laughs> band when I was growing up. Yeah. And maybe they picked one direction as their model because that's one the audience would be more familiar yeah. with than say NSYNC or the Backstreet Boys. Right. Uh, but those are the, those are the big films that are nominated this year for their categories and just being films in mm-hmm. general, like being a good, being a good film or, because the Academy has to segregate a good animated film. Yeah. Um, so let's. So as a way to begin our lead out, which one would you like to win Best Picture? For Best Picture, I would be totally happy and content with Everything Everywhere All at Once, Women Talking, or The Fablemans. Those are my top three. I loved all of them. Um, I would be surprised 
it's not going to happen. I would be astonished if women talking won. <laughs> it's not going to happen. But um, those are like my top three. Like, I would love to see any of those win. All right. What are yours? Uh, well, I have a li- more limited pool to choose from. Yeah. I didn't get to watch all of them. But I would say that between the ones I did see, I would probably pick either All Quiet on the Western mm-hmm. Front or Everything Everywhere All yeah. at Once. Because, again, even though I disagree with the musical choices of All Quiet on the Western Front, I do think it's a very good film and a very good adaptation of the book. And I know war films aren't for everyone. You're yeah. one of them. Um and I tend to be kind of hit or miss with war films because very often it's easy for them to fall into what I like to call the Patriot trap. Yeah. Where like the movie, the Patriot, they don't necessarily glorify war, but they glorify the causes for which they're fought over. Yeah. Which is something the Patriot definitely does. And I could ramble on about that for an hour. Roland Emmerich, you son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for a war movie, I do think All Quiet on the Western Front really gets the fact that it, that the cause does not matter. What matters is that people are fighting and dying horrible deaths yeah. all for years on end, often for for reasons that even if you do, even if they're understandable, they still are so stupid from time to time. Yeah. And they cut, they intercut between the fighting with the negotiations to end the war and you can argue about who's ultimately responsible for World War One, but... They do go out of their way to show that the French, as they're negotiating to end the war, are being really, really petty about the process. And now, often needlessly so. And even if they are be, But then again, even if the French are being petty about ending it, so too are the Germans, like the mm. general, who is so desperate to end the war with a German victory, even if it's not over the whole war, that he basically sends the guys over the trenches just to try to win a battle that isn't yeah. going to change anything. So, and that's what I think, that's why I think it's a good war movie yeah. or a good anti-war movie because it shows that war is just fucking stupid. Yeah. Um. But then, and then everything, everywhere all at once, same reasons we already discussed at length. It's yeah. a surprisingly good fusion of genres and a really fun, heartwarming movie about, yeah. you know, family relationships and just not letting yourself be consumed by all the terrible things going on in your life or around you and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Uh, Such a celebration of like cinema too. And I just thought that was so fun. Yeah. yeah. You can tell the people who made it love movies. Yeah. You can tell that the Daniels really like movies and especially yeah. the movies that they are drawing inspiration from right. for everything ever all at once. Um, and now for animated movie, you have said that you really want Marcel on the shell with shoes on to win. Yeah, that um, is my top pick. It's not going to happen, <laughs> but it is my top pick. Yeah. I do remember you telling me once, I think it was yesterday, where mm-hmm. um, there are some live action actors in there from time to time. Or Yeah. So Yeah, Marcel is like an interesting choice for anime. I feel like they didn't know where to put it because the shells are animated. Like Jenny Slate plays Marcel. And does voice work. Like, you never see Jenny Slate, yeah. right? But um, Jenny, not Jenny Slate, Marcel gets interviewed by, like, a news anchor for a story. And it's just a real person. And so it kind of puts the two together, I guess. Um, it's like the Roger Rabbit problem. Where, yeah. Yeah, so much of it is animated, but so much of it is also live action. Yeah. It would be impossible to take the live action parts out of it. Yeah, and I think if they, like, had made it, or, like, tried to push it as a live-action adaptation, I don't think it would have gotten any 
like Oscar attention. Yeah. Because it would have just been wrongfully overshadowed by other movies. And so, I mean, I think it's an animated movie. It's just kind of in that like weird limbo area. Yeah. Maybe not quite like Roger Rabbit where it's clearly almost half and half for both. Right. But yeah. Uh, my pick, uh, despite the fact that the Sea Beast is arguably the one that touched me the most, mm-hmm. more for its aesthetic than anything, still Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Yeah. Again, I love that movie, and it's also the one between it and Marcel, the show with shoes on I've yeah. seen. But I, I actually got to see it in theaters. I had a great time. Yeah. And again, I can still whistle that whistle on command whenever asked. So a lot of it is just stuck in my brain, and for good reason, because, you know, good movie give yeah. it a give it a golden trophy for being a good movie and a surprisingly good one at yeah. that again who would have thought a puss and boots, boots sequel of all things would be so good so true um so those are the ones we want to win yes but what will actually win what will actually think? win for best picture i do think everything everyone wants has a really good shot um, I was less sure at the beginning of award season because it is like a it's not a typical Oscar pick. Um, but I do think it's like probably the front runner for best picture. The only other one that I think is like like Spielberg is like Spielberg. So there was a little bit of discussion about the Fablemans, but I don't really see that happening because it hasn't gotten too much attention since the Golden Globes. Right. Um and then the only other one that, like, I think has any chance is maybe Banshees of Inishirin because it has that, like, quiet Oscar that they like to give out every once in a while where it's like, yeah, the movie nobody saw, <laughs> that nobody, yeah, we're going to give it to them. The quiet Oscar energy. Yeah, it's like, it was like a couple years ago, Nomadland won Best Picture, and, like, nobody saw that. I didn't even know it existed exactly. until I heard it was nominated. Um but it's 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 mu- it's very in that realm, yeah. and so I think that one I was gonna be like those two are kind of my two front runners. But I think everything is and hopefully will push ahead, yeah. because it's just doing so well at so many other awards shows. Yeah, yeah. Everything everywhere with yeah. I would think that everything ever all at once would win as well. I wouldn't be surprised if. Uh yeah, Banshees of Inner Sharon, for what you've told me, definitely gives off that quiet Oscars energy that the old people who don't want to listen to loud movies blow their eardrums out yeah. or need a... Uh, they want movies that they can use their hearing aid on. Um, they, uh, I can definitely see them giving it to Banshees of Inner Sharon or the Fablemans purely because their directors are Academy darlings already. Yeah. Less so in Martin McDonough's case than Spielberg, but, right. you know. Um, Familiar favorites. Yeah. Um, But I do think that with all the praise it's gotten and the novelty factor, especially even more, I do think that Everything Ever All at Once has a decent shot at it. I wouldn't be surprised if it lost, but I'm not going to be disappointed if it wins for obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, So, and then for animated movies, um, I would assume that it will either go to Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio for Guillermo del Toro's name or maybe Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, mm-hmm. because usually if it's not Disney or Pixar that's winning it, it's DreamWorks. Yeah. And I do think that, at least in this case, Puss in Boots is more fondly looked at 
largely compared to Turning Red. Not that Turning Red is yeah. a bad movie, but I do think you hear more people praising Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, and falling over themselves doing it than they do yeah. for, say, Turning Red. And it definitely didn't help for Turning Red and I think Marcel that they came out so much earlier in the year. Oh, Turning yeah, Red no. came out in, like, March, and I think Marcel got its release in, like, May or June, and then yeah. I somehow got to it. Marcel's release was so complicated. I don't understand what was happening because I, I got to it, find it in September and now yeah um I hope it's streaming soon but um yeah I definitely think with and like the sea beast is kind of the same thing I think it came out a lot earlier in the year and then I didn't really like it fell through the cracks until it was nominated for me yeah. um but Puss in Boots came out in December yeah um and Del Toro came out in I think November. late November um and so I think it's going to go to Pinocchio. Um, that's my prediction. Um, because it's it's just winning everywhere. It won the Golden Globe. Um, animation doesn't have as many award shows as like live action movies. What and a shock. I know. Animation is not typically put in with just other movies in general. That only happens every once in a while. Just like Best Picture having an animated film nominated. That hasn't happened since Toy Story 3, I don't think. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, <laughs> it's not fair. Um, but yeah, I I think Pinocchio is definitely the front runner, both with Del Toro's name and just like the insanely positive response it's gotten from a lot of like critics and fans. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I definitely get it. Still think Puss in Boots is the better movie. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well. I think that's all that we have. I mean, technically, we've got all the time in the all the time of the night, but we gotta keep this monster from getting too big. Much like the Oscar movies, we so don't want true. this to go on for too long. <laughs> Otherwise, we're gonna wear out our listeners as much as the Oscars wear out their viewers. So, but but thank you for coming, Sam. Thank this was fun. Thank you for having and, me. Uh, this maybe was amazing. If we, yeah, maybe uh, we can do a a little cliffhanger ending. Maybe we can do a Oscars a post Oscars episode to go over what their choices were and see um, how wrong or how right they actually got this this time around. So, but thank you for listening, everybody. We really appreciate it. So stick around for our next episode. We'll have more coming and yeah. Thank you for listening. Happy Oscar watching. Thanks again for listening and to be on the page. You can check us out at prism.orangemedianetwork.com where you can find our blog posts and more episodes of Be On The Page.